0: I'm honored and excited to announce that I Want to Know has their first sponsors. First, Dr. James McIntyre and his team at Adjust Your Health in North Calgary. When I met Dr. James almost 20 years ago, I was taking a bucket load of Advil every week just to get through my day, like 16 to 20 a day. Not to mention the alcohol and other substances I would take at night so that I could sleep. I suffered from chronic back pain due to car accidents, sports injuries, and repetitive motion damage from being uh, in the drywall industry. I worked in the trades for nearly 20 years, had more than 10 car accidents, 3 very serious ones, and some severe sports-related injuries. Most of the chiros I saw could only give me temporary relief. I was uh, It was getting expensive and very depressing to know that I would see some of these chiros and only get temporary relief but wake up the next morning in pain. I was lucky that the last chiro I saw said she couldn't help me and directed me to Dr. James McIntyre. After only a few visits, I felt tremendously better. Most of my pain had left, my mobility was coming back, and I didn't need as much Advil. If I remember right, it was only a few months, and I was almost completely off the pills. Life was getting better. I've known Dr. James and his crew for almost 18 years. I've referred almost everyone I know to him, and they have become Adjust Your Health advocates. The team at Adjust Your Health offers a wide array of services, including acupuncture, massage therapy, chiropractic, and physiotherapy. They believe in a multidisciplinary approach to patient care and use a variety of techniques to help the patient achieve their goals, from pain relief or injury resolution to improving sports performance. Calgary is very privileged to have such a highly qualified team of practitioners available to accommodate your health and well-being needs. If you are in pain or an athlete or just want to be as healthy as possible, check them out at www.calgary.com ayh Our next sponsor is Paul Nye, an amazing artist out of Averdre, Alberta. I've admired his artwork for years. He's been mostly doing airbrush work to customize motorbikes, cars, boats, hard hats, and signs. The work is stunning to see. You can get all your custom work done with Paul at Reaper Creations at 3700 McCool Street, Crossfield, Alberta, just a half hour north of Calgary that's not all. I don't want to take the light away from his airbrushing, but his tattoos are out of this world. His ability to bring tattoos to life with shading and color will astound you. The skill set he has as an airbrush artist transferred seamlessly to tattooing. You can get your next tattoo with Paul at Shellshock Tattoo and Piercings at 920 36th Street, Northeast Calgary. We have featured some of his art on our YouTube video, and we have had him on the podcast. Paul is second to none as an artist and a person. You can also check out his art at Nice Tats or Nice Touch on Facebook and Instagram. And now, on with the show.
1: I want to know podcast with Chad Ferguson.
0: Hey everybody! This is Chad with the I Want to Know podcast, a kick-ass podcast. I'm here today with uh, comedian Andy Haynes. You can see him on Comedy Central. You can see him here in Calgary at the Laugh Shop, and on YouTube and on his podcast called Be Best. That's Did it. Did I get it all?
1: Yeah. Sweet. Yeah, you nailed it. <laughs>
0: That's pretty good. You don't have an overcomplicated name, which normally messes me up pretty bad.
1: No. Yeah. I'm t- I'm just a very like pilgrim name. I got like a. <laughs> first to first generation uh i think i was i think i'm related to the pilgrim somehow really yeah like I the think plymouth we colony
0: oh like the original oh yeah you're american i forgot
1: yep. yeah although i got uh some canucks in the background actually i think from up here Oh but really? they're scots they like yeah. came from scotland and did some stuff in calgary and headed down south that's so us I okay. thought
0: I grew up my whole life to being told I was Irish Scottish and German uh-huh. and then I did the 23andMe spit in the I, we did Ancestry and it turns out I'm like mostly British and a little bit Scottish yeah, and Irish yeah. and almost a, like 1% Norwegian so there's like no Viking in me at all
1: yeah I was I was really bummed with my 23 and Me. I thought I'd have like you know maybe like a little Spanish <laughs> a little Russian I was 99.9% Northwestern European wow like nothing interesting <laughs> Just talk to the same just people sunburned. your entire life. Yeah, <laughs> just sunburn.
0: I'm even like 1% Spanish.
1: I didn't get that. It
0: doesn't look like it, though, does it?
1: No, you you also look very much northern, northwestern very, European. Very, very white.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We <laughs> sunburner usually, too.
1: Yeah, it's 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 better up here, though, because you only have to worry about it a couple... couple days a year. A couple days a year. <laughs> That's about it. Yeah.
0: We have our uh, hot days that are set at about 18 or 20 degrees, and everyone in Canada cooks and can't stand it.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it, it's, like, surprisingly cold for August. I mean, it's nicer today, but, like, last night, it was, yeah. like you know 12 degrees 12 degrees or something like that (laughs) i was like not prepared for that i'm glad i checked the weather
0: we have not had a good summer Well, we have our families had a great summer we went over to nova scotia for two weeks and then i just got back from vancouver uh from being there for a weekend it was gorgeous there too it was like both places were like 25 28 30 degrees
1: i i i kind of know what that means you know americans were really i
0: think it's like 95 yeah i heard something like that isn't 100's 1, right? You
1: times 2 plus 30, I think is that's that how you it. Do it. <laughs> yeah. That sounds like bad math. I think that's what it is. Yeah. And then once you go down below, because I know that it like equals out at negative something.
0: Right. Our, we, our water freezes at zero, and yours freezes
1: at like 32. 30. 30. Okay. 32 maybe, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. We shouldn't be science guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, don't rely on any science information we yeah, give you exactly. on this podcast.
0: <laughs> we are not doctors. Yeah. Uh, so where'd you grow up?
1: I grew up in Seattle, okay. yeah. city of Seattle, uh, kind of just right in the middle of it by the, you know, like I could walk to the Space Needle. Nice. So kind of... Close to downtown? Yeah, pretty close. I mean, Seattle's downtown, kind of like Calgary's downtown, it's not very significant. Just very tiny, yeah. Yeah, um, and then went to school there till I was like 18, uh, tried... Two failed years as a um, ski, like a professional skier. Oh, I wasn't, nice! I was good, but I wasn't that good. Yeah, and I found that out very quickly. I also like ruined all my joints because I didn't <laughs> treat it like a sport, like a real sport. Yeah. yeah, I just like did it, and then you know I didn't realize you had to go to the gym and things like that. And then went back to school, kind of near Vancouver, actually, okay. in this city called Bellingham. Mm-hmm. And then we uh used to shop there all the time. Yeah, that's where you go down to get to, the g- big mall. to get the dairy, right?
0: Well, <laughs> <laughs> we did <laughs> cheese and yeah, ice cream and dairy. But then they had the big mall in uh, Bellis Fair, Bellis Fair yeah, Mall. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, we'd go get our cl- uh, school clothes down there. It's um, it was cheap, and my parents would smuggle it across the border.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's uh, on Sundays. They they call it like Canada Day in Bellingham, <laughs> and there's a Trader <laughs> Joe's there, and they they clean the entire Trader Joe's out, like literally yeah. nothing left on the <laughs> shelves, kind of thing. Uh, all the Indian restaurants in Vancouver, they go down and get all their dairy there. So oh, they okay. clean out like the Costco. That's crazy. Yeah. I can't imagine the lineup at the border. I yeah. wouldn't want to do it. We used to be a couple hours. Like in lineups. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. To
0: get through. And then if you got stopped by the border patrol and they had to search your car and you you know, produce all your receipts, what'd you buy? How long were you gone? Oh really? Was, yeah. Yeah. Oh man. So they used to hit you pretty hard, but, um, most of the time they just knew we were down there getting gas and, and dairy <laughs> and there was no, uh, uh, no duty on that stuff at the time
1: i remember i because uh, i used to go to whistler all the time to train and then i i got in some trouble with uh, booze and a car and then i had to stop every single time i stopped across the border yeah and i didn't even have anything on my record so i was like super lucky but that line <laughs> going inside and having to wait and then them having to treat you like you know they're like we may not let you in so nerve-wracking
0: yeah it's scary right because they could do anything to you there
1: and especially with like if i have a weekend you know like i'm like booked to play a club and i'm like sitting there at the border hoping that they're gonna let me into the country it was a real nightmare what do you do
0: if you don't get in you run to an airport and try to fly over or
1: i it never happened luckily i think one time they made me buy a work visa um but that was like the the worst i've ever had it was like i did it for years because i I got in trouble when I was, like, 19, and this is probably, like, when I was, like, 26, 27, when I was, like, working up there. Yeah. And uh, one time, border agent was just like, hey, man, just so you know, there's nothing on your record, so (laughs) you can stop telling us. Oh. And so I just stopped saying it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He saved me so much. I owe that guy so much. (laughs) He saved me hours of my life.
0: That's cool. We had a friend uh, in Vancouver. She worked at the Border Patrol, and she got followed home um one day and the car stopped her before she got in her driveway and basically said there's going to be this car going through the border tomorrow they're going to find your booth and you're going to let them go through jesus and so she was yeah scared to death so right away she phones whatever her supervisor and the rcmp and everyone else and you know gets protection for her family and and things switched out at work and then i think that she only lasted there like another month and then she took another career path
1: I never even thought about that, how scary that'd be. You know, I think about, like, people who work in banks. They always have to think about, like...
0: Bank robbers. Yeah, yeah the yeah. bank
1: robber's going to show up with, like, a picture of their kid or something like that. Um, but the border, yeah, I wouldn't want to mess with it. No, Any no, kind of job, know. like, luckily nobody's ever like, you tell this joke tonight. <laughs> or we're gonna, be
0: funny or I'm going to hang yeah, your mom.
1: Or we're going to kill your mom. <laughs> uh, no, that hasn't happened yet. Although, you know, who knows? Jerry Seinfeld, I think, has this story. He told it on some, I think, like, there's this old series of um, recordings with, like, great comics. There's, like, Jerry Seinfeld on comedy, Woody Allen, a few other people. But Seinfeld was getting heckled at a club, I want to say somewhere in Manhattan or Long Island. And uh, the this guy, nobody was doing anything about it. He couldn't understand. And eventually he, like, starts digging into him. And the guy like throws like either a mug or a bottle at him, still Damn. doesn't get kicked out. And Seinfeld's just like, "What is going on? You have to know something's up." So he like eventually gets off stage, and he's like, "What's the deal? Why did not anybody take care of that guy?" And he's like, "Oh, that guy's like a real well-known mobster. Like you can't do anything <laughs> about it." <laughs> they probably
0: don't take too well to being made fun of either, right? Eh? No, I don't
1: think so. Those yeah. guys are pretty. I don't even know if it's in- insecure, but they're definitely like they don't mess around. Yeah, I, uh, I luckily, even though I can kind of. I can kind of get into it with people. I can kind of like stir the pot. I've never had anybody really want to kick my ass after a show.
0: I've heard a few comics talking about guys that like threatening them and jumping the stage and uh, it definitely
1: happens, but I'm not, I'll make fun of somebody, but I don't like dig in. I actually, I've had some sets here where I just like, I just start talking to people about local politics, like either whether it's like NDP in Alberta or Trudeau in Canada and that always gets me in kind of, like, I just don't do it anymore because yeah. it's never aided me. Because, like, I'm from, you know, the most liberal parts of America, New York and L.A. and Seattle. And so then I'll get into it and I'll just be kind of – like, I won't even say anything about it. Yeah. And people will just be like, that's not happening. <laughs> it's, it's a tender wound of, for yeah. some people, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and – but I, I don't really talk about much politics anymore yeah. anyways because it's – I'm not – good enough at it to make it funny and so that it just always ends up being like some kind of fight with me in the audience and
0: (laughs) i just heard a definition about uh uh, comics and comedians that one says things that are funny and other one oh shoot how did it go now something about they whatever they say they can make it funny yeah do you know what i'm talking about
1: i don't know which one i am i have a feeling that i uh (laughs) (laughs) yeah
0: how long have you been doing
1: it Fifteen years. It'll be fifteen in December. It's pretty close. Um, I uh, I definitely I it's like gone by very fast because I haven't done anything else. I mean, I've I've worked other jobs to make extra money, or um, you know, I've had writing jobs that like led me away from stand up to the point where I wasn't touring all the time or I wasn't doing it every single night. But pretty much as of like. December two thousand four. Yeah. I think that's when I started. December two thousand four. I've done it almost every night.
0: Wow. you still love it?
1: Yeah, I do. It's it's weird. Um some nights I don't. It's like one of it's it, I, I think most comics can agree with this. You can you can still I do this every single night and it's there's still like about a fifty percent success rate with like a new bit. Like yeah. half the time I really just have to go up there and say it to know it's not funny. Yeah. Like I'm literally thinking like this has been a bomb and well i think it's funny i'll be like this is you know there's something there's something here and i'll think that i'm going to figure it out on stage and then i'll go up there and it's just like crickets (laughs) and i'm just like oh god um i have i've been doing this show for the past month in new york called um this week at the comedy cellar it's like a comedy central show if you go to my instagram page you can see all of the clips that i've posted from there but um the premise is, is it's comics at the cellar, the famous comedy club in New York, doing that week's news. Okay. And so all the jokes that we are writing, for the most part, are brand new, Yeah, which is like a really awkward situation to be doing a televised version <laughs> of an open mic, essentially. <laughs> yeah. And um, so I'm just like, you know, I'm sitting down on like Saturday, getting my topics for the week, and I'm like trying to write 10 minutes of jokes, which is like pretty unheard of. Like most of the time when somebody does their jokes on TV, I would say six months is probably the shortest amount of time they've been doing those jokes. Right. And some of them have been for years, you know. Just trying to dial them in for each type of crowd. Yeah, little, tiny little tweaks can change everything about it. A pause in a certain place. And then you go up and you do this show, and then, you know, half the bits are the third time you're trying them, you know, and it's just like, I've had a couple (laughs) of those sets where it's like in front of a TV audience, and I'm just like, just a joke gets nothing. And I'm just like, wow, (laughs) this is... You
0: guys have to be like the toughest people on the planet, like the thickest skin, because you can get up on stage. And, and, and I, I, I'm a huge fan of comedy, huge mm-hmm. fan. Like, I go to comedy shows as often as I can here, and I have since I was like 19 years old. I used to go to Comedy Cave in Surrey. Oh, and, yeah, yeah. Um, I saw uh, Patton Oswald like working out a set on a Thursday night at the Comedy Cave in, cool. in Surrey. So I, I, I'm a huge fan.
1: Is that Surrey, BC? Surrey, BC. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Is that the same comedy cave as the one here?
0: No, the one in Surrey was um, shut down for fraudulent. They were doing some like profit stuff and cool. stealing <laughs> money. And I heard he wasn't paying his comics most of the time. And Sounds and great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was pretty low rent, but uh, either way, you, I mean, you get Patton Oswald and um, I'm trying to think of some other big names that had been through there, but uh, they were they are phenomenal. But I'm I'm a huge fan, but. You go to a comedy club and you watch a comic come on, especially if it's like a Wednesday or a Thursday night. You're not getting their A game, but you're getting all the stuff they're trying out, which sometimes yeah. is way funnier.
1: Yeah, I'd way sometimes... rather do my new stuff to a captive audience than, yeah. than you know the act. I mean, the act's fun, especially like I'm at the laugh shop this weekend and there's like, you know, for some reason, it's the best audiences I've ever had there. Wow. Like it's packed. Yeah. And usually, you know, it's like, I don't know, maybe the main center of the room and then a little bit on the wings. But I mean, it's like, I think last night was close to sold out. And when you're doing the act, it's like a little bit of a kind of conductor thing where you can really like play with a large group. But um, I'd way rather just mess around. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. We, um, uh, there was a comedy... whatever, tour that came through Calgary once a year. And what you would get is like Friday and Saturday nights, you would get two shows and they were like the show. They was the act. But then you go to all the bars on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday nights and all the comics were trying out stuff. I think trying to get a feel for Uh like the city itself. And you got the most hilarious stuff. Like they were trying their dirtiest jokes, their wrong, (laughs) you know, all that stuff. And uh, we would usually invite the comic after to come over and have a beer because they're the funnest people to hang out with. And uh, just talk to them after the show and uh you know they would tell us about you know one guy was doing a joke about spanking his baby and it was friggin <laughs> hilarious. but like the whole crowd just they were all 25 to 30 year old uh young parents and you just don't talk about yeah. spanking babies with the young parents yeah, <laughs> i guess yeah yeah no and uh but i was like dude that was so funny he's like and it bombed like it nobody like they were almost booing him off stage when he did the jokes but you get i think the best stuff because it's like off the cuff everyone's trying something new or they've only done it a couple of times so i don't know i find that stuff way more amusing than the show itself
1: yeah it's um it's bizarre i i think i mean i'm sure a lot of comics have talked about this but like you you don't know what you're getting into until you're there yeah it's like you know I, i know some rooms now are bad or i know some cities like they're just gonna not like certain parts of my act but um for the most part it's like every time you get up there you might you just might have an audience that doesn't relate to you at all. Yeah. I actually like I feel like I had to really learn how to play Calgary because yeah. it's such a different demographic. I mean most of my comedy is written in Brooklyn, performed in Brooklyn in New York, LA, Seattle, DC where it's like, you know, for the most part I'm performing for young to middle-aged urban professionals, pretty diverse um you know, they're probably on, like, the liberal side of things. And then it's, like, last night I was performing, and I looked in the middle of the audience, and there's this guy, and I'm like, where are you from? And he's, like, you know, Manant or something like that. Some farm town out here. And he had, like, you know, suspenders and a John no Deere way. hat on. I was like, what do you do? He's like, I grow oats. And I was like, like, I, I hope you like this, but yeah. I don't, you know, I don't know if you relate to this at all. I'm, like, right. a, I'm dating, and I am I live in the city, you know. But, um... Yeah, so it's it's hard, and that's why the best comics, I think, they really, they figure out how to tell jokes and how to speak to people in, like, a very, like, they can relate any situation, you know? Like, yeah. anxiety about money is universal, so you got to figure right. out, like, how my anxiety about being, like, 37 and broke <laughs> works, like, for an oat farmer in, you know, rural yeah. Alberta. But, uh, yeah, so it's that's what the messing around is.
0: Do you find it easier now that you're a headliner than when you were coming up the ladder and you know always being first or second guy cuz now you can listen to the first and second guy and their jokes and get a feel for where the audience is?
1: I you know honestly I think the easiest time is when you're right about to become a headliner okay. and you do that middle spot. Yeah. Cuz there's no consequences. Right. <laughs> you know, you're like the audience is already warmed up by the MC and then th- they know that the next guy is going to be a little bit better or not necessarily, but like, you know, they know that you, you have a reason to be there, but they're not staking. The, the whole show is, is the headliner. Yeah. So if, uh, if I go up and I bomb as the headliner, everybody's mad, Right. but it's the middle. They're like, Oh, you know, hey, whatever. There's
0: someone better. coming. Good
1: job kid. <laughs> but I mean, I, you know, I can't tell you how many times where it's like, I wasn't ready. And, um, I went to some show and it was like, I could tell they were just, everybody was just so mad that (laughs) I wasn't like, you know, the main event, but it's just, that's the crapshoot. Um, and I think I just like it more now because I've done it so much that it's like, I don't really, honestly, I don't think about it a lot. It's like, I do it so often. I think about what jokes I'm going to tell, but I don't think about how I'm going to tell them or what the audience is going to be like, because... I kind of just do what I do and yeah. I adjust little things. You know, if the audience is all just a bunch of old people and they look pretty tight knit, I'm not going to drop a bunch of F bombs. <laughs> you know, right. I try to adjust in those ways, yeah. but I'm not going to like have a different act. There are comics that can do it. I mean, there's comics out there who have clean and dirty acts, and that's like pretty amazing. Yeah. But for the most part, I, I just kind of do the same act. And it's.
0: How long have you been doing the act?
1: I'd say it's. Got jokes in it from three years to two months.
0: What's uh? What's your rotation like? Do you try to like get a solid hour and then do that for a while, or are you always just you know releasing some jokes and bringing some in?
1: Well, it's so weird now because the system has changed. It used to be that you know you kind of you did a special or a album every, you know, Louis really changed it when he started doing like an annual hour that kind of changed it and everybody started doing that bill burr does an annual hour um pretty much everybody changes their hour so that the next time they come back to your town you know that you're going to get at least like 75 percent new material right um for me i would say that it's kind of i'm just constantly working on new bits there's some bits that work everywhere so they kind of stay in the pocket they're kind of the you know the foundation
0: lift them up get them excited
1: yeah i mean and then there's some jokes that i love telling in new york and if i or if i'm you know doing like a city where i feel like the the crowd's gonna get it i'll definitely like tell those jokes but you know it's just like i have jokes about cauliflower pizza and like (laughs) you know if i go to like i don't know if (laughs) they have cauliflower pizza yeah like it's I don't know if the oat farmer from <laughs> Alberta knows what cauliflower pizza <laughs> right. is, so I'm not really going to take a risk. I might tell that joke tonight. You never know. Yeah. Um, so I would say it's always kind of moving. It's always kind of changing. I'm going to do an album in, I think, January-ish. Cool. Just because I would like to take the chunk of, you know, the hour and 15 minutes of material I've been writing like the last three years and just get rid of it yeah, so that I can just start over. Yeah. Because I won't start over if I don't have a reason to. Right, I'll, you know, I'll just tell it and tell <laughs> Keep it Keep doing the it. same
0: thing, yeah. We had, uh, I don't know if you know who Jason Fredrickson is, a Canadian
1: the Name's familiar, comic. I don't know him he personally. He's toured a
0: lot in Canada, a little bit in the States. I had him on a couple of weeks ago. Uh, but he's been doing the same act for eight years. And for him, it's not about... I don't think it's about growing his comedy. He has a great job in comedy is the second thing, and people pay him to, you know, corporate stuff for for telling jokes and that. So I don't know his goal is, like, you know, to have an album or to have a Netflix special or anything like that. And that's when I actually realized that there's this whole range of different comics out there, guys that are, like, awesome at writing Mm -hmm. or that just want to run the same, you know, act as long as they possibly can. And and then guys that are, you know, every year, they're doing a new hour.
1: Yeah, I think it's... It's uh, it's so niche now, too, with, like, the internet. I mean, there's, like, guys that are going to go up there and they're going to do something different every single time they get on stage. My friend Rory Scovel, he's, like, I can't do what he does. I just am not able to. He can get up on stage. He can make it all up. Yeah. And he can crush. Didn't
0: Adam Sandler used to do that?
1: Probably, yeah. yeah. It's just, like, you know, there's people up there that just, they're so in their own skin and, yeah but for me i i like writing jokes and i like figuring out the kind of tinkering of it i'm not somebody like let's say like seinfeld or mark normand or somebody like that where they like you know they literally are looking at like oh i used and here and then i don't (laughs) use the there you know what i mean like right i don't i'm not interested in that minutiae of uh joke writing but i respect it um but it's, yeah, you know, it's it's bizarre. There's some people that treat comedy like they're longshoremen. You yeah. know, they're just going out there, and they're just doing the job. And right. it's not really, they would never, ever be as pretentious as to call themselves artists. Yeah. And then there's other guys now that, like, really, you know, they think they're, like, the. they think they're, like, on the, in the theater, the avant-garde or something right. like that. And um, it's all comedy, apparently. Like, you know? Like... <laughs>
0: Well, the funny thing is that, you know, you guys are so subjective to people's opinions, right? Mm -hmm. Because you could show up tonight and just totally kill it, and then everyone's talking about how awesome Andy Haynes is, right? Like, you got to see him. He's the funniest guy. But the next town over isn't going to find the same stuff. Totally, yeah. Right? So you guys are always like, it's almost like there's never a great win because it's, it's, like you said, it's 50% of the time that you knock it out of the park.
1: Yeah, I think if you ever watch that, have you ever seen that documentary, Comedian, the one with Seinfeld? Yes. Yeah. Th- I think he says in it after he kind of has this, like, he's working that new hour, he's working that new hour, and he kind of climaxes. And I think he does Letterman or something. And then he goes, he does Letterman or he does a theater, something. It's like, you know, big deal. Um, and uh, he doesn't have a great show the next <laughs> night. And he <laughs> just goes, You're only as funny as your last show. Yeah, you know? Yeah. And it's like, that kind of is the case. That's, uh, I mean, for me, if I. You know, like, I got a clip on TV last night in the States, and um, it wasn't, like, a big show or anything, and it was, I don't know, 45 seconds. It's not a big deal in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. But I'm feeling pretty good about it. It's you know, cool. like, I woke up a little more spring in my step. Um, but if I bomb tonight, I will totally forget about anything. <laughs> that I'll forget about, uh, you know, uh, my, my great loves and, you know, the time I scored the goal that won the game. It's just, like, <laughs> I just bombed, and there's nothing else good. Yeah. So...
0: It's almost like you guys are, like, I don't know, the definition of life. Because in life, you people fail all the time, right? Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's not devastating to fail. It's just devastating, like, for some people, I guess it is. But, and maybe for some comics it is, but, like you can go up and do the your show, your act, you know, 50 weeks a year and uh, 50% of the time you kill it and 50% of bombs. But that's sort of how life is. Like, you don't knock it out of the park with everything you do. You try things, try things, try things and work on them, make them a little bit better, a little bit better. Yeah,
1: yeah I think, you know, I think uh, for me, uh, like I've always described my, like how I do comedy is that like the act is kind of an organism and, um, you know, it's like, I got to take care of it. Mm -hmm. Like I got to write new jokes and I got to tinker with old jokes and I got to kind of make this joke better. It's like, you know, it's almost like a, it's a bunch of organs, you know, know, that fit into a body. And um, that for me is how I work with comedy. I have to stay engaged with the act. I have to be building it. I have to be kind of conscious of all the different elements and um, if I don't, if I neglect it and I'm just kind of showing up and I'm just kind of hoping that the heart works and then hoping that the liver works <laughs> yeah, and I haven't right. really been doing it, 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 you can feel the difference. Um, and also, I don't, this is like kind of tangential, but like as far as you're saying, like with the 50-50, there's a lot of guys that go up and every night they murder they yeah. just murder. There's a guy. Uh, he's probably one of the more famous comedians. That guy, Chris D'Elia. I don't think I've ever seen that guy bomb. I I've seen him have sets that he didn't like. Yeah. Uh, there's a guy, Chris Red, who's on SNL. Never seen that guy have a, an awkward moment. You know, like, <laughs> like. Weird. But I don't. I don't know if I if I want that because that's not like what I do. I don't like. I've never actually trusted cool comics. Yeah. You know, like a comic <laughs> that gets up there and he's got like a leather jacket, and he's like, "I'm gonna go hang out with these kinda. babes out here." <laughs> I'm like, "I don't, that's, I don't get why you do comedy. That's not like just go be confident. Like, yeah, this is kind of for the the pulling apart of, uh, you know, we're like that's the the job of the comic in my mind is to you, you kind of pull apart the the different strings. Yeah, you know? Jamie Fox and
0: uh, Eddie Murphy both talked about at length where they were saying like. Eddie Murphy would go to a club at his height of his stand-up career. And he said he could say anything on stage and everyone laughed. Yeah. And he hated it. Mm -hmm. Like, it just, it killed comedy for him. Like, why are you guys laughing that wasn't even funny in his mind, right? And he got paid the big bucks and had the big shows and got the DVDs. And uh, Jamie Foxx did the same thing. He goes, it got to the point where he thought that he was the funnest guy in the world. Because no matter what he did, everybody laughed. Yeah. And it was, they were just Jamie Foxx fans. Yeah, yeah. And uh, said it killed it for him too. And then he saw... um, not Chris, Chris Tucker came in and kind of, like, sneered at him, like, you think that's funny? Watch this. And went up on stage and, like, murdered when he was brand new. And so Jamie's, like, I got to do something different. Like, I can't just be this guy. Like, I have to really dig into comedy and I have to write and I have to, yeah. you know, figure out what is actually funny and, and do that. And actually, uh, Eddie Murphy said the same thing. Like, he's ready to start his comedy career back up again and start hitting shows and, and uh, working out again.
1: Um, yeah, I think he's going to do a Netflix special in like the next year or something. Like okay. That. Yeah. Steve Martin also, Steve Martin, he said in his book, um, is it called standing up? I don't know, something like that. Um, he has a book about his whole performance career. Yeah, and uh, he said that in um, the height of his career, you know, he's like playing stadiums. Yeah, like he's opening for Elton John <laughs> and like <laughs> Yankee Stadium and things like that. And he said that he couldn't, he couldn't hear anything. Yeah. you know what I mean? Like he would say something, and you know, he would feel the laugh kind of like move through the tens of thousands of people and then some guy would yell a hundred people back and he'd kind of be like oh what did you you know like but there was just no relationship and then right. if he tried to do it anywhere uh, I, I even saw this I've, I've seen this in person like when i saw Chappelle at the height of the Chappelle show he went up in seattle at the Moore theater and everybody just yelled hmm. catchphrases from the show right and i mean he's one of the it's arguably one of the funniest people that's ever done it um but you know i i think that i think when you get that big it's not fun anymore right because i think the big fun of stand-up especially with a new bit and especially with a new show like a new audience is that you you have that fear you know you're stepping off of the cliff and right. you don't really know <laughs> if if they're gonna catch you yeah, it's just you know?
0: jumping and is the parachute gonna open or no yeah.
1: yeah and when the parachute opens god does that feel good i would imagine but um i think when you get to that point and you just start talking and they're just like they're just gonna like they laugh at you when you say but right you know and you're like just but and then you're <laughs> thinking and they're laughing and somebody's just yelling a catchphrase from a show that you're probably super tired of hearing about you know
0: hot pockets for Jim Gaffigan. Yeah. I totally. Imagine. So, I think I think the the balance though is probably what they're getting paid,
1: right? So if God, people yes. are paying
0: you a shit ton of money and you just have to do the hot pockets act, that's fine. I'll do Yeah, I hot don't pockets.
1: know how more people don't sell out more often because every time anybody's paid me money, yeah. I've, you know, I've been <laughs> immediately all ethics I have go out the window. Right. Any kind of integrity I have. Yeah,
0: I'll do that. I'll do it. Whatever yeah, you want. sure. What, how much?
1: <laughs> yeah, of course. I'll put on the Nazi outfit and, you know, march down the street. Not really that, but, you know, I uh, had, I had a enough. buddy,
0: uh, we were in a our group together. We had a families that met every week, and we would always just help each other out. But anyways, he was saying how frustrated he was with his job, and he thought he was going to quit, and he went into his boss, and, like, I think I'm all done here, and his boss essentially doubled his wage to keep him. Mm-hmm. And then he came back, and I'm like, dude, you hated your job. He goes... Oh, I hated it for a hundred grand a year, but for two hundred, yeah, yeah, it, right? exactly. And uh, I was like, "Oh, that's not a bad way to look at things. If you get paid enough, you could do almost anything."
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I luckily like the only things I've ever done that I really regretted are like they're just corny, you know what I mean? I like I've done like some Instagram show that was like uh, trying to talk to millennials about money. And it was just it just didn't interest me at all. It wasn't connected, and also they weren't paying me that much. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I'm sure if they paid <laughs> Give you $10, yeah, if they episode, me ten thousand dollars an episode, you're I'd in. be so enthusiastic. <laughs> but it was a thousand dollars an episode, which is still great money if you consider like what people are doing. Across, you know, right. the oat farmer would be very excited to get a thousand dollars to stand on a soundstage. Yeah, um, maybe not though. But uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's just um, I think. I think that the money, probably like with Chappelle's show, I think that's probably why he left. Is yeah. because eventually the money wasn't making him happy, and right. the stand up wasn't working the way he wanted it to. Because they were just, they were just, they were laughing at the idea of Dave Chappelle versus what he was saying.
0: And he probably had some producer constantly nagging him to say no. I guess with the Chappelle show, he had he was pretty free, wasn't he?
1: Yeah, but also, I mean, we don't even think about the minutiae of like what it's like to be that big i mean we're talking like constant media you're getting hit in every single form of communication with people asking you to do this that or the other you know there's wardrobes there's shoots there's interviews and then like he's got a wife and kids and that's like you know should be a big part of your life and then he's got all this other stuff so so what's
0: your end goal then so like the the netflix the billion dollars a year Doesn't sound like the path that you're on. What like
1: I mean, I would love to do stand up at that level. I'm trying to figure out like I love stand up. It's been the only thing that I've really ever been rewarded for. I've written on T V shows, but I've never been like the writer on like the big coveted critical show. Yeah. Um and I've also never been the actor on those things. I've I've got to act on some cool things and write on some cool things. Um stand up I love it, but um, I don't know if I want to be a road dog. I don't know if I want to, like, I love touring, you know, two weekends a month or maybe, like, once a month, you know, for 10 days, and, you know, I, I, I love doing that, and I love to travel, but I think eventually I would like to have, like, a family and a home and things like that. Like, right yeah. now in New York. That's I, where you're living now? Yeah, I live in New York City, and I came back from L.A. where I was I was in L.A. for six years. I arrived in L.A., married. I had a wife for the first two years. We split up. And then I I always had a very comfortable life in L.A. Like I I either lived in big apartments with a roommate or with a girlfriend or I had my own apartment. And then I basically went broke. And, I mean, I wasn't doing anything I cared about. And I was broke and just really unhappy. And then I went back to New York and I was like, you know, I I can kind of just do this because this will be – at least I'll be happy and I'll be doing stuff that I care about. And I, you know, I – I've had roommates the whole time I was in New York. I've had tiny little rooms. I've lived in neighborhoods I didn't want to. It's gotten better and better. Yeah. But, like, I don't want to do that forever. Like, yeah. I don't want to be... I'm 37. I just turned 37. I I don't want to be 40 with roommates and kind of, like, living out of a duffel bag. <laughs> right. And so that's, like, a certain... I know some guys that comedies their whole life and they could care less about a partner. And um, so I think... I don't know exactly. I'm not really, like, I don't really have a grand plan. I know that uh, I would love to make um, TV. I love TV. And, like, I'm I'm talking, like, good stories on TV. You know, like... uh, like Obviously,
0: sitcoms, comedy. Like, BoJack
1: Horseman, I think, is, like, one of the best TV shows that was made in the last 10 years. And, I mean, there's so many. There's literally, I think... F for family. uh, Yeah, there's, like, a thousand? thousand... i think there's a thousand scripted shows that are going to come out this next year oh wow so if you can imagine there's a lot of tv being made right um so i'd like to do that uh and you know like when i look at careers in comedy i don't i love doing stand-up and i i want to do specials and things like that but i'd also like to like you know become an old man and look back and be like that was the time that i did the movie and that was the time that i wrote the book and you know, because I think it's all fun, um, but I, I, I really, I was, uh, I'm sober now, and I got sober at the most successful point, monetarily, and, you know, nice, like, like you know, big accolade kind of things in my career, and um, the when I got sober, I kind of was like, this is what I'll do, and this is what I'll do, and then I spent, I'm, I'm almost five years sober, I spent the next four years just being mad that I couldn't do all the things I wanted to do mm. again. I just was furious that I wasn't on this show or getting that much money or being able to work on that job. And um, kind of realistically, um, I mean, I'm constantly kind of having to surrender what I think is how things are supposed to be, just like being humbled. And uh, so now, I mean, really in like the last year, my whole philosophy towards it, and I'm not great at it, but like, because it's not my default, but I'm just like, all right, what's like what's presenting itself next to me? Do I want to do that? Is that like something that would make me happy? Do I need to do that because I, you know, I'm an adult and I need to make money? Uh and then I just do that yeah. and uh, usually it leads to something better. Cool. And I have to do like a little work around it, you know, like if I'm going to be a stand-up, I have to be a good stand-up or I'm not going to get to make money doing right. it. So there's always that conscious like stand-up is definitely like Stand up's my baby. Stand up's yeah. my family. Stand up's like the thing that I have to come home to every night and feed and yeah. make sure like they you did their homework doing it. Yeah, and, yeah.
0: Um, I love that mentality of life and how where you are right now because there's people that are so goal driven that I think it can break them and I think you have to be somewhat goal driven. But I like how you're you know you evaluate is this going to be good for me? Am I going to like it? Can I make a living at doing this next thing? Yeah, because you can be so focused on the future that you miss out on what you have right in front of you. You don't see the forest for the trees. Yeah. Um, But in the same token, you're you're seeing that you have gratitude. That you're seeing that you're moving on to the next better thing as you're doing that thing right you're always knowing there's something better in the future it seems like sobriety is a hard thing to do um and you've done it for five years you found that balance in it
1: yeah i think you know sobriety was just like basically like you know what i really want like my heart of hearts is I want to be the wolf of Wall Street. Like yeah. that's what I want to do. <laughs> yeah. I want to go into the, you know, the nicest restaurant in New York and be a prick to everybody and, <laughs> you know, throw down the money. Get
0: me my steak. Yeah, you know, yeah. just
1: like this I I say how it is and I, you know, I'm just like I but that's that's never who I was. Right. I'm not that person and yeah. it's never worked for me. So yeah. I don't know why I would like keep on trying to do that. <laughs> right. My favorite show on TV right now is the show Succession. And I it's know, about this. It's on HBO, and it's about this very, like a, the equivalent of like the Fox News family, like okay. the the Murdoch family. Yeah, it's just basically like a huge, like we're talking billion dollar family. Like money will never be an issue, and kind of the power dynamics in there, and the different personalities in this family. And that that is what I wanted to be. Like I, I like I, you know I I am very attracted to, and I don't know who isn't, but like. You know, I want to be a power broker and I want <laughs> to be able to like show up someplace and be like, give me a drink. God damn it. Yeah. And it's just I don't know. It's never worked for me before. So don't know why I would <laughs> think that it's going to start working for me. And also, realistically, is that person happy? Is that person like doing anything in this world that's like lasting? Like one thing with sobriety um, is that like a a huge aspect I I do like a 12 step program is like, you are reaching out to people who are going through a similar thing that you are, or they are, um, you know, trying to get sober, something like that. And like, I need that because like, I need to constantly be reminded, like what I have is like, like I got a real good deal. You know what I mean? Like I know kids who can't stop doing heroin or can't stop, um, getting drunk and ruining their life and things like that and they're trying really hard and they keep on messing it up and that's not my story but i when i get all mad that i don't have the audi q5 and i don't get to live in manhattan in the exact neighborhood i want to and i don't have the brazilian model girlfriend i have to remember that like i have a pretty great life still compared to and also like who cares like you know
0: It's no. not yeah. I can relate totally. Mine's not uh, the Wall Street guy, but it'd be more like a, a dragon on TV on the TV show. Yeah, it's yeah. A, I just like business, and I'd like to be able. To, oh yeah, like we'll give you two hundred thousand dollars to start that business, and I get my ten or twenty percent. That that's always my thought in my head. I'm like I need to work towards that because I gotta have enough money that I can invest into everything that yeah. I want to do for fun. And you know whether I get there or not, I don't know. I'll I'll keep working towards it and keep thinking about you know. Because I think having the ability to do that thing, to be the um, wolf on Wall Street, is an awesome goal to shoot towards. And if you get 10% of the way there, you've accomplished something Mm -hmm. great. But if you just shoot to like, oh, I'm going to be a drywaller for the rest of my life. That was my first trade. Mm -hmm. Um, That's great, too, if that's all that you want. But I think there's so much more in life. And just keep shooting a little higher, a little higher. And if you get part of the way there, you're now better than you were a year ago or five
1: years ago. Yeah, and I think I, I think so many people I know who... Because I know some people that are wildly successful. And I'd say for the most part, you know, most of them are, are pretty happy, good people. But I know a lot of people that are, like, crazy successful. And they will never have to worry about working again. And um, I can't say that they're super happy or any yeah. happier than I am or any more secure. They might have confidence. But, like, you know, I think there's, like... I, I like I look at what you guys have here and mm-hmm. like, you know, there's very much a part of me that wants this more than anything else. You know, like yeah. I constantly think about like leaving New York and moving to like Sedona, Arizona or outside of Denver. You know, it's like someplace where meet a really cool girl. Meet a really cool girl, you know, we have a couple kids. We live like our our sliding glass door opens up onto some mountain. And yeah, you know, maybe I like work in like customer service at I don't know, like a Crocs distributor. <laughs> but that sounds very appealing in a lot of yeah. ways, you know. I uh I don't know what it's going to be, but um I think so many people are obsessed with money and I think I think to not value money is immature. That's so true. But I think also to like think that that's going to make you happy is also pretty unrealistic.
0: There's a biblical statement and everyone thinks it's uh um Money is the root of all evil, but it's the love of money is the root of all evil. Oh,
1: is that what the actual quote is? That's
0: what the actual biblical uh, scripture is. It's the love of money. So when you put money ahead of everything else, family, friends, God, all that kind of stuff, that is the root of evil. But you still have to, like, there's, I don't remember the number, but there's, like, 250 times that the Bible mentions the importance of money um, that that you have to understand it because it's one of the... um, things that make our world go round. It's one of the cogs, right? So if you don't understand that cog, if you don't know how money works or your relationship with it isn't good, then uh, you're you're never going to be successful because it's an important... It's like breathing air or loving people. It's an important part, but it can't be the only part. It can't be the number one part. But you have to understand it. You have to respect it. You have to have a good relationship with it. Yeah,
1: I think...
0: I think in those 12-step programs, they talk a lot about relationship. What's your relationship with uh, alcohol, with drugs, and and that kind of thing? I think people need to spend more time thinking about their relationship with money. Am I doing this, you know, just like my buddy took... pay raise to do the same shit Darabi did before but all of a sudden it was worth it for more money and you know are you doing it just for the money or is it you know I have Jordan Peterson's book out there and he talks uh, at length about doing things that are first right for you but not only right for you it's got to be right for you and your family and your community and the world Yeah. and uh, money is right money makes life really really good but if it's your only focus you know you're not going to get the wife you're not going to get the kids and you know you might get the house or you might get a wife, but it's not gonna be the wife because your focus is still on money and I can tell you as being a husband and a dad, my focus has to be on my family. I do yeah. my regular job for my family. You know, the you know, this I can do outside of hours and all that kind of stuff. And if we grow it into something great, that's awesome. Uhhuh. But that regular job is important. It's important for me to keep my family and to keep my house and to keep car payments and, yeah, totally. and all that stuff. Right.
1: I think that um, I, it's like you know it's a delicate process. I mean, I think like people tend to kind of forget that money is just like a note that connotes a value. It's not right. like a like a physically evil thing. Um, but you know, just people need to be realistic. I I was like uh, I was like seeing a woman and um. I really liked her, and then you know she saw a little bit of my life and where she's at. We're both like in our thirty late thirties, yeah. And she's like, yeah, "I, it's just not gonna work." And I was like, I was really mad at first, and then I was like, "Wait, I mean, like, if you want like kids and a house, like I don't make enough money to do that right now. And if you kind of have a timestamp on this, that like I can't really like be mad at you for that. Right? That's <laughs> the like I need to like be at a place in my life where I can like probably bring a little bit more than." 50% or whatever, you know, like, yeah, maybe more than that, especially if, if she's gonna like have kids. And um, I would love to be a dirtbag. I mean, it'd be so <laughs> nice to just be like,
0: whatever, babe.
1: <laughs> I mean, I tried that. It the unfortunate thing to me is that, like, or not unfortunate to me, but like, I, for so long for like, and you should listen to this, but um, it sounds like you have a good dad. But like I, you know, I always was trying to buck the system and take the shortcut, right. and I was always trying to be like, "Hey, dude, like it doesn't matter, chill out." And I, you know, I, I still, I'm, I would say say I still lean very liberal on like political, and you know, like I'm socialist democrat kind of thing or democratic socialist. But having said that, like everything I did in my life, if I would have taken the like the traditional route first like even comedy In comedy and when i first started to do comedy i wanted to be doug stanhope i wanted to be like the rebel i wanted to like you know just do whatever and it was like what i really should have done is i should have been looking at like seinfeld and you know like all these like really like the, the guys who wrote jokes tightly because it's like if you're gonna be a rebel you should know what you're rebelling against first and like that also goes with money it's like you can say that it's evil and all this stuff but like you also still have to like contribute to society right. and if you are going to have like a wife and all these things like you can't just hope that it's going to work or you're going to have like some bummed out kids who are mad that they're you know at goodwill or whatever you right know, like. <laughs> it's
0: important what you said there is that understanding the system and uh, I had a buddy from India grew up doing business in India from a time he was a teenager and it's very very corrupt we think you know in the US and Canada we got corrupt prop- corrupt politicians i don't think it's anything close to what it is in other parts of the world and he managed to make good money in those places and keep his morals but he said it was understanding the system right yeah so if you understand how money works you can choose what you do with it right or you know if you are only going to make fifty thousand dollars a year well you live within that fifty thousand that's lots of money if you can live within that space Um, you can have a million dollars a year but have a five million dollar lifestyle it's still not gonna work. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's understanding the system that works best for everybody. And so understand the system, work within that system, and then you can get the benefits of that system. And then you can be the rebel. You can be the Elon Musk that steps out. But yeah, yeah. he
1: first understood how money yeah, Elon worked. Musk, like nobody realized that like Elon Musk was like a family man entrepreneur in I think Israel. I know he's from South Africa. Yeah, I think he comes from Israelis. I don't. I don't know his exact story. But like, he was like a pretty normal businessman. Yeah. And then as his business grew, he was able to become this like disruptor or whatever like yeah. that. Yeah. I, I'm gonna build tunnels under
0: L A. and man, shoot I actually thought space. that was a pretty good idea. The under the <laughs>
1: tunnel because I lived in L A. and I was like, yeah. yes, please. Uh, Is he
0: not doing? He's doing it.
1: I think I don't know about the tunnels. I think that there was some kind of civic pushback like as far oh. as like the city government okay. i know they have a test tunnel the hyperloop's a great idea too i think yeah. the way america has neglected our train system is like preposterous um but like you know for me it's like i make money now doing comedy and i make a decent living off of it but there's all these things that i want to do and i have to think long term like i would say that probably like 75 percent of comics don't know how they're going to retire right and they're like my age yeah like it's not that far off it's like Less than 20 years (laughs) until they have to, like, have enough money to, like, not work anymore, you know?
0: You don't want to be 80 years old. Is this thing on? Yeah, God, (laughs) no.
1: I mean, I would love it if I was, like, Rickles or something and I just had this built in. Because I'll always want to do it. But, um, you know, this year it's, like, I actually finally was, like, okay, what's my skill set and what's valuable about it? Like, I want to write for TV and I want to act on TV and I want to do comedy all over the world for... (laughs) you know, the big bucks, but, like, that's not happening right now for me, so, like, how do I make money? So, like, I just started, like, working in, like, different spaces, like, where do they need funny voices? So, I started working in advertising and copywriting and consulting and things like that, and it's, like, not glamorous. Nobody wants to hear that. Like, nobody's, (laughs) like, oh, like, my, the guy who I came to see tonight. I think it's
0: awesome that you're doing it. I really do, like. Yeah, I mean,
1: I I think it's awesome, too, because it's, like, I'm actually able to, like, make the living I want to make. And get to do the thing i love right and also i don't have to tell anybody that like well you don't
0: have to get up at five o'clock in the morning to go appease somebody either no
1: yeah i mean i get up at eight and then i like make a pot of coffee and i (laughs) you know i work in my living room and i make a good living that's awesome but um you know i know a lot of comics that are like i just do comedy and they live on a couch (laughs) and you know they smell and i'm just like not for me dude like (laughs) Yeah. I, I You are, I love that you're following your dream this hard, but like, and also you don't need to do that. Right. Like, put six hours, You, get, I, I know what you're doing all day. You're probably <laughs> waking up and smoking a bong or something like that. Yeah. It's like, don't do that. And, you know, um. We, we talk about this, like we have
0: life groups that we do all the time and like really close friends. And we're always evaluating what's going on as a dad, as a husband, as mm-hmm. an employer, um, as a manager of the company. I'm always evaluating every single day. And if it's not working, I'm going, yeah, I got to stop doing it. How do I stop doing that? And then I want to do this. So like you said, how do I get to this next thing? And it's like, oh, I I just did it this weekend. Like, I, I want to do more of this stuff. Type of stuff I like. Mm-hmm. I did four years of acting. Um, I love doing the podcast. I think I voiceover stuff would be a ton of fun. Don't know if I'll be good at it. So I went and got an agent. Mm-hmm. If it turns out great, if it doesn't, that's all right too. Yeah. I still got a good job that I can go and do. I got to get up at five o'clock in the mornings to do it, but
1: it's um, fine. I mean i I think I think that uh, you know I think. As long as... I think... I don't know who spoke about this. There's some people that talk about it. There's different, like, books. Um, but, you know, you have your, your bottom lines. Like, your non-negotiables. Like, for you, it's your family. Right. You know, maybe your faith. Maybe other things. Um, and then there's other things in there that, like... That you might be gonna you know, like, sacrifice. And yeah. um, you, you have to, like, be willing to negotiate those things. And see the practicality in what your bottom lines are. Right. And also... Um, i think that's great like i i the i mean the 12 step really that's all the 12 step is and other than like the processing of your own kind of mental um kind of metabolism like taking the feelings you have and 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 bouncing them back and forth off of people but like also just like that community of people who are going to talk to you honestly like that's so many people i know don't have that and they sit down with like just a group full of like you know, people dirt that bags. Don't know them, right? Yeah, people don't know them. People that don't aren't going to be honest with them, or people that don't care about them, and they're just like, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've had a friend break up, and I've heard some other friend be like, "What you got to do is you got to go out and sleep with as many chicks as you can," and it's like, eh, yeah, maybe he should like be <laughs> sad for a couple weeks, you know? Like, why that's is fine. it so bad to be sad? Or yeah. Be like,
0: I think every emotion we have is the best tools that we have You yeah. know, I don't think you should be sad for a year um, <laughs> no. or depressed for a year but I think you should be sad yeah. like if someone leaves you why just, just be sad for a bit it's okay yeah. you know, if your life isn't where it is be depressed and then use that as a tool to go oh I'm feeling depressed why am I feeling depressed oh I don't like my job okay how do I change my job and move on right it's just a tool to use and people if they feel a little bit of uncomfortable now they're like I'm out yeah it's too hard to get up at five o'clock in the morning and work out yeah that's hard but where's it going to be when you're
1: 80 right you want to do it you got to do it yeah all the uncomfortable stuff nobody's willing to do and it's you know it's 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 so funny i I just got um i had a brain fart i lost sorry i have add i was what were you just talking about
0: um uh about doing the hard stuff, about getting up in the morning and, you know, evaluating your life and, and understanding. Oh, the, the,
1: the hard feelings. That's right. The one thing that I've also learned about, like, just being an adult, because I've had to do a lot of growing up in the last couple of years with sobriety, is that... Um, like whatever you think that feeling is like if you think you deny it it's going to it's not going to go away nope it's like w- we have this saying in aa which is like the 12th step i'm in is that like um your alcoholism doesn't like go away it's like doing push-ups in the parking lot <laughs> and that's like how it is it's yeah. like if i ignore my alcoholism and then i think i can go back and just be a normal drinker my, my alcoholism's yoked my alcoholism's been in prison it's waiting and it's, rubbing yeah, its hands whether that's my insecurity or my like um my like coveting of a, you know like a resentment with somebody yeah. like you think you can just push it away and ignore it but you know I, you know this because you're in a marriage yeah it's like you can say something's fine with your wife yeah but there's a good chance that if you say it's fine and it's not fine and the next time that you guys oh. get into it yeah, it's gonna be like, oh, did somebody <laughs> call me? <laughs> did, did my number get called? Because I'm ready for this right. fight, you know.
0: Jordan Peterson. Uh, I was listening to this all week and That's why I keep bringing him up again. I drove to Vancouver and back, so it was like. Oh, that's hours why you went down there. Yeah. No, no, no. I, I have the book on tape, and oh, so I okay, listened to yeah. it for all the driving. Um, but one of the rules is don't let your kids do things that'll make you dislike them. I think that's true of everybody around you. You know, if you have a friend that you know says a blithering alcoholic, and that bothers you, you should say, hey. When he's sober and when he can think, he can go, dude, you're not very fun to be around when you're that drunk.
1: Yeah, I think it's it's a bummer that, I mean, I don't know a lot about Jordan Peterson. He's kind of a, he's a very contentious person in the United States, yeah. but um, the idea that people don't tell people things is really like, the, that it's was like a big, it was a really big problem with me in LA, which is like, because in LA, nobody says anything, <laughs> you know, nobody's ever like, hey, like I'll, I, I would be on TV sets where like millions of dollars were at stake. And somebody would be messing something up that was very simple, yeah. you know, like uh, just a joke, and it was just because nobody had, nobody could go up to an actress that was just like a very attractive woman and just be like, "Hey, you're you're doing the joke wrong. So here's how you do the joke right." They would just scrap the joke.
0: Oh my goodness! And that was like, I mean,
1: that's across the board for everything across show business where it was just like. Well, that exec at that TV studio, he doesn't like this angle of light, so we're just not gonna, you know. what I mean, like literally, things are just thrown out instead of being somebody being like, "Hey, um, how about we just move the light?" <laughs> you're gonna have to move the light, or, "Hey, uh, you're being a prick, and that's making this person unhappy." Like just little things like that. They left, they were left unsaid for so much. And when I, right before I moved to New York, I was really depressed, and I would tell people I was really depressed, and they acted like I might as well have said I, you know, that I. Uh, i think i'm jesus or something like that you know what i mean like they, they it was nobody could accept it they were just wow. like depressed i mean what you, why don't you go jogging <laughs> you know, you know it's, i it's it's a little <laughs> bigger it than might, that it might but, be. <laughs> yeah. and then you know and then all of a sudden like once i say i'm depressed people are like i ah, you know like they're they're keeping their distance more and it's like i didn't say that i'm you know I don't have leprosy. I'm just I'm down, I'm kind of reevaluating right. things, you know, things like that. The other side of it and
0: and I'm on this side of it is that I can't not say something. Mm-hmm. Like I literally if I see something being done wrong, I try to do it as politically correct as possible and take into account their feelings, but I'm always saying to somebody not always I'm saying stuff to people that I love, you can't do that anymore, or that's not right, or we need to change this all the time. So that I come across as the asshole a lot of the time. Because, but I don't mind it. I grew up with like very, very wealthy friends, mm-hmm. and uh, I pissed away at my money. I didn't do anything right with it in my youth. You know, close to losing my house a couple times, and like just stupid, stupid stuff. And no one came to me and said, "Oh, this is how you budget." Let me yeah. just show you. And I, like so that and i don't i get it maybe i wouldn't have listened or you know whatever the reasons were i'm not blaming them now Yeah. but i don't want to be that person if yep. i know something i want everyone else to know that i know it and and for them to know it
1: i uh, i was very much the same way we're like i had no discipline as a kid and nobody ever i mean they tried but i and maybe maybe they tried hard and i just didn't realize it at the time but uh you know there was just nobody was really telling me how to be good with money nobody was telling me like i literally applied to college without my parents really like being, you know, involved because I just knew that I needed to go to college, which I don't even know that I needed to go to college. But, you know, it was just like nobody was telling me what to do. And because of that I had to find out so much of the stuff in my life by being like, you know, running out of money or <laughs> getting arrested for drinking or, you know, something like that, where yeah. it's like, oh, okay, you're messing up. And um I have this buddy who's the other side. He works at Tesla and he's, you know, He's just he's the guy that w- he's he's always done the right thing to, right. To, to to the to the greater extent. I mean, you know, he's done stupid things cuz he's a human. And um but you know, like he's the kind of guy where if he sees the guy litter where I'm going to go like ah, you know like god that's sexy, that, that guy litter. He will like roll down his window and be like, "Hey, you dropped that." And the guy will be <laughs> that's like That's me now. And I like it. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I he's also like six8 and a rugby player so he's allowed to do that <laughs> a little bit more <laughs>
0: to almost anybody but
1: he'll go you know he'll go up to a car in the street and he'll go hey uh why are you idling and the guy'll be like I'm just waiting for somebody and be like yeah you know but if y- you should probably turn it off just because if you're gonna sit here it's like this climate change thing it's not going away yeah. and the guy will be like ah you know like but he he doesn't he doesn't he's also not a prick about it right and um I don't know. That guy's always been doing great, and I think there's something very...
0: Well, we were talking about this on the drive uh, with my family as well. That there are some basic principles in life that I think we miss out on, like gratitude and giving and, and understanding money. And like these are biblical principles, they've been around forever. And, you know, within native tribes that weren't biblical, they had these same principles. And yeah. that's why the tribe was able to grow. And, and we miss out on that somewhere in growing up and going, no, 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 it's really important to be thankful yeah. every day for all the good stuff. And when you do that, all of a sudden your life gets better. Because I, I have friends the same thing. They just they've just always done all the basic stuff right. Yeah, they've they've done the principal stuff right, and they've got these great lives. And you know, I think I've got a really really good life. I love my family. I love my kids. I love my job. Um, I love that I get to do this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's more out there, and it's coming because I'm doing the principal stuff right now.
1: Yeah, I think that so many people like the Jordan Peterson thing. Like I think. Um, you know, like a lot of people in the States, I don't know any of his philosophies, but I know that like, there's a lot of people who like, you know, my friends who like, they, they, there's friends that like him and there's other friends that don't like him. And the right. friends who don't like him, like stop talking to the friend that <laughs> likes him. Yeah, and yeah. I don't, I don't know anything about him. I, I'm sure he'd say some things that I highly disagree with, but it's so weird how people are willing to throw out every kernel. And like, I don't, you know, like I, that's the, having said that like there's some bad guys that have said some good things but like you know what you're talking about with like the basics and like the things that are kind of transcendent across culturals like um you know like i'm i'm probably like in the minority of the comedy community where i d- i do think like certain things like community and family and these close friendships and you know just kind of like really basic things are super important And people want to throw them out and be like, "Yeah, we're fine, and we don't need partners." And you know, like, yeah, that's scary. And and I, you know, like I think there's a reason why we were able to accomplish as much as we were able to accomplish as this animal, right? Through you know, even if it's that you just had a clan or whatever like that, it's like those things like community and family, like having, um, you know, I grew up with a single mom. I didn't have a dad that took off on us. He Mm -hmm. just was across the country. And I just didn't have a strong male role model. And so I was like, I was like dying for masculinity in my life and like a masculine identity. And I don't think that masculinity is necessarily like a super important thing. But as an adolescent, I just was so insecure because I didn't have a compass that I was like literally nice. like, yeah, that's you know, perfect I, word. I just like, I, I like I went and I was like, All right, I I'm a I'm a man and so I gotta do man stuff and so I found the kids that were like all fighting and drinking and getting arrested and I was like, those look like men and I just like latched onto that. Right. And, you know, and I did all this stuff that like if I would have just had my dad being a little bit more present and just be like all right hey we're gonna throw the football and this is my favorite book and you know sometimes this is gonna happen then i would have been able to be like you know i'm a man and you know maybe i'm just like the kind of man that likes to read you know exactly but instead i was like oh i gotta hang out with these guys that are like like i mean i'm
0: if i'm not drinking 14 beers then i'm not i'm not a man yeah if i don't
1: go home with a chick every night at the bar then i'm not a man you know and like and I, it, it never was me. That's the thing too. Is yeah. that I, it wasn't me. Like I was always a pretty laid back, you know, passive guy. Yeah. But I thought that I had to do all these things, and I think the yeah. drinking. I mean, that was like really how I got into trouble with drinking. Was that I just started hanging out with people where like drinking was the identity that made the security, you know? Yeah. And yeah. it was just like it never, it never worked for me.
0: With with your twelve step pro- program, is it a faith based program? I don't know much
1: about AA. Thank you. Um, it it um, yeah. I mean, it's not faith based in the sense that it has a faith. Yeah. Um, it's a spiritual program, and almost all twelve step programs are uh, spiritual. And so, um, I I'm not a representative of Alcoholics Anonymous. That's the one that I had a problem with. I also, you know, had some drug problems at certain points, just pot. I smoked too much pot. But um, they all basically, they all basically, um, any kind of 12-step program kind of preaches the tenet that um, you can't be in charge, right? right? So you have to have faith that something else is going to be in charge. And literally, like, you know, people will be like, you know, my, um, you know, the, the Wookiee bear in the sky is my faith, you know, my higher power or whatever. The spaghetti it's, monster. It's, yeah, exactly. It's just not me. And, you know, some people are they do have like a faith-based twelve step program. There's Buddhist twelve step parishioners or whatever you want to call it. There's um, atheists, but still to the extent that like they have an understanding that they may not believe in like a biblical god or a you know, a, a deistic kind of approach to spirituality, but they know that they can't be in charge. And I think it's something, you know, there's a lot of times that I don't like being in a 12-step program, but there's a lot of times where I'm like, I'm so lucky to have this because this is such a strong tool that like to give away any kind of like idea that I have control over what's happening here, like we were talking about earlier, like the idea that I can go and I'm going to like sit down at some like, you know, power lunch place and I'm going to just like put down my foot on, you know, the head of whatever <laughs> right. company and be like, we're making a show, goddamn And if you don't get it, then, you know, like it's just, it's not realistic. And so right. I got to go like, all right, what can I do? What's in my control? Everything else is taken care of. Yeah. And that's like kind of the faith of it. That's very cool. And just like really letting stuff go and really like turning stuff over. Um, if anybody who listens to you ever wants any kind of sobriety stuff, they can reach out to me on social media. Nice. I always answer those kind of um, stuff. But um, but never be afraid that it's going to be a Christian thing right. or, or some kind of cult thing because there's nothing like that. It's just basically like... It's a trick. You know, it's like the alcoholic mind y- you think that, you know, there's that saying like you're the biggest piece of shit in the center of the world. Right. It's like you you are not in charge. No matter what, you aren't in charge. Right. That's the that's the only thing that we can say is that you anything can be your higher power except you.
0: Russell Brandt, who's gone through 12-step programs and uh, a comedian now doing um, uh, theology and uh, psychology in university, Mm -hmm. um, he talks about it on his podcast a whole bunch. Is like, we're all following a program. Is it the one your parents laid out for you or a teacher or a counselor or... The world, like the TV, people follow whatever program they they're on TV they're, mm-hmm. they're showing on TV. Um, so why not pick one? Like just yeah. pick a program instead of just w- uh, willy nilly following what everyone else around. And I think that's what uh, you did, and I think I did in my life. Most of my life was like, oh, those guys are drinking. I like them. I'll go drink with them. Mm-hmm. Or you know, everyone I knew was a construction worker, so I did construction. Yeah. Um, even though I did four years of drama in high school, and that was my passion was was <laughs> yeah. to be an actor, but. Eh, my friends are all drinking. You know, girls don't like broke guys. I'll go do some drywall because I can make good money doing that. Yeah, yeah. And I followed that program and I hated it for most of my life. I did something that I hated. Where yeah. now I'm in a job that I like and I'm doing podcasting and meeting gr- cool people like you. This is, like, the ultimate program, but I'm designing it. Like, I know what I want now. I know what I'm trying to achieve, and that's what I'm going after. And I think you said the same thing about your life, is that you're, like, you look at something now, and you're designing the next thing.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, I, I think that um, you really just got to do stuff that kind of serves you right? in the sense that, like, if you hated something, then mm. obviously. Like, it's all pretty simple. Like, we, we like, we labor all, over all these things all the time and also just the idea that like nothing is permanent. So like, right. you know, you might have found yourself in a position where you have to work a job you hate because you have a family yeah. and that sucks, but it's probably not forever. Right. Like, you know, if you are in a job you hate and you want to get a different career, but you know that you have to work this one to whatever put food in the kids' mouth right now. Okay, well, every Saturday now you got to like spend 6 hours in a vocational school so you can start making the steps towards that. And right now this sucks, but like Whatever's next is gonna, you know, it it will change, and things, you know, it's, it's everybody treats everything like it's so drastic. And another thing that people do, uh, you know, speaking this program thing, is everybody's so afraid of looking uncool. Right? Like nobody (laughs) wants to, nobody wants to do anything. You can't tell
0: people, oh, I don't, I don't drink.
1: Because that's weird. Yeah, or that I have a program, you know, like, like, literally, I get down on my knees, and I pray twice a day, I meditate, I write gratitude lists, I have little, like, pieces of literature that I, like, reference when I'm kind of, like, feeling squirrely. Now, like, do I, do I, like you know show the world am i like hey i'm praying now no <laughs> i don't do that but sometimes you know there's like places where i feel insecure and it's like well nope that's like that's the thing i got to do and i know so many people where their lives are are, are just complete wrecks and i'm like well, you should just like do something like this and it'll and they're oh, like yeah. i couldn't do it <laughs> right and you're like why and they're Those like are assholes. yeah yeah they're just like i you know i'd be dude how lame would that be if i had to ask that person for help and i'd be like yeah What what do you think life is? Like, do you think, like, you know, just be not cool, Yeah, you know? Like, take the L and go up to that person. I can't tell you how many times I've asked somebody who I'm really in awe of and I really respect, and I have to go, like, hey, man, would you mind, like, sitting down with me for coffee? Just because, like, things aren't really going exactly how I want them to. So I just need to, like, pick your brain and ask you, like, maybe insight. Yeah, And it was, like, almost always they were, like, yeah, of course, Yeah, you know? No one
0: thinks you're a loser for asking. They're just like, oh, I get to give this guy something awesome. There's a, there's such a power in giving to people, and you gave them that opportunity.
1: Yeah, and everybody, like, you know, they look at, like, uh, Brad Pitt. Like, Brad Pitt, like, showed up from Kansas City, and, you know, he showed up in Hollywood, and he was Brad Pitt. And so Brad Pitt got to do the Brad Pitt thing. Right. And so they, but like... <laughs> You aren't Brad Pitt. Like, you're 35. You're far from that situation happening. Like, yeah. you are, you have a very different thing. So do you want to be in movies? Okay, okay. You got to take some acting classes. You got to start meeting people that have the same desires. Right. You got to get headshots. You got to start doing casting sessions so that you can meet casting agents who can recommend you to agents. You yeah. got to start working as a featured background, working in commercials. Like, it's, it's, it's just like, and no, it's not as sexy as Brad Pitt, like, walking right. into the whatever bar in downtown west hollywood and some producer looking across the thing and being like that's the next kid like <laughs> but that didn't happen it's already over yeah, so get exactly. over that illusion <laughs> that you're gonna look that cool right
0: pamela anderson got noticed at a bc, BC lions, lions football yeah. game that she was the smile of the day and someone went like oh i'd like to meet her and put her in a movie the or pride take of some nanaimo pictures. man
1: she, <laughs> exactly she made it so far yeah but it's a you know i think um like i I have all these friends in New York that are like visual artists they're like downtown scene people and they never ever really you know they they never ever really don't look cool yeah but like <laughs> I don't know it's so it's so hard like if you set yourself up to that standard where you can't just like I fail every day yeah. every day I fail something that's uh, so important and um, I go okay, well hopefully I'm not gonna do that again <laughs> right. but I also <laughs> now that I know I'm gonna fail every day, I don't really go like. Ah, I failed. To, right. You know, turn off the cameras. You know, <laughs> it's like I, part of my reality. There's
0: a skill set behind failing, right? So mm-hmm. everyone's going to do it. Some people are really, really good at failing and some people absolutely suck at it, right? They fail and like, oh, I'm never doing that again or I'm never trying this again. Yeah. But where would... Uh, Jordan be uh, the basketball player. I'm so bad at sports stuff. Yeah, Where yeah. would he be if he missed his first basketball shot and goes, "Oh, this game's stupid. I'm not doing it." He
1: got that. cut. He didn't make the. He didn't get um, in the, on the high school team like his first time he tried out. I mean, it's like it, think yeah. about what would have happened. And, you know, the greatest guy to ever play the game. Right. Um, I think that also goes um, for the. Uh, let me just look at the time. Okay. Um, I. Uh, Sorry if you have to cut that out. Not at all. Um, <laughs> I just have to check. Uh, you know, I think, like, I am very, very conscious of pro- progr- progressivism. I can't even say it. That's how conscious I am of it. <laughs> but, you know, like, the idea that, like, I want to be on the right side of history and things like that. Yeah. But I um, I have a lot of friends. Like, my sister is um, just, like, she's so woke that her, her life is, like, this torturous, like, th- things can never be unsaid and things like, you know like all this stuff is just so drastic. And then I have a stepmom and she's from Oklahoma, and my stepmom, you know, like for instance, like she doesn't know all the correct pronouns, she doesn't know all this stuff, doesn't have a ounce of hate in her heart,, yeah. but sometimes she says the wrong thing. and then my sister, can you believe she said that? And it's like, yeah, I mean, she's from Oklahoma and yeah. instead of being like, all these drastic things that we do, I guess is what I'm trying to say. It's like most of the time somebody just messes up. And instead of being like, like we're canceling all these people now, it's one thing if you like sexually a solo person. Right. So like, let's say, you know, if you go through my social media history, I'm definitely said some cancelable (laughs) things. And I'm glad that I'm lucky enough to not have been famous at that point to have been canceled. But, um, if somebody came to me and they're like, Hey, look, you said this really offensive thing in 2012. I'd be like, Oh man, uh, that, that's that's really unfortunate. I wish I wouldn't have done that. I won't do it again. Right. And um, but that's like you know failure is going to happen across the board. You're going to fail as a person. You're going to fail as an artist. You're going to fail as like sorry to say this, but you're gonna you're gonna have failures as a father. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then he's gonna you know whatever like you know spray paint the school or whatever and then
0: you know you know that that's one of the base principles of life is grace right yeah it's it's to figure out or to understand that people are not going to do things well that you're going to fail people are going to fail my wife says it all the time people are everyone i know fails me everybody well it's true we do but it's not a reason not to be around people it's just go oh people fail okay so when that person fails you just sit back and go all right, I didn't like when you did that, but here's a better way of doing it. So let's just go forward with doing it that way. Can we do that?
1: Yeah, it's like uh, the one big thing that I learned in sobriety is that um, a big thing, a mistake that I'd made for my entire life was I had um, I'd made deals with people that they had not made with me. Like, I'd, I'd like, set up expectations of people where I was, like, all right, well, this person, even though they've never been reliable, they've (laughs) never been accountable, they've never been honest, whatever it is, and then I'm, like, but I like them, so they are those things, and then they weren't those things, and then I would get furious. Yeah. And so now I have these people in my life where I go, like, well, that guy's pretty... He's pretty careless and he's pretty unreliable. I like him, <laughs> yeah. But like, hey, I'm not going to ask him to teach me guitar. Yeah, or you know, if that. I need a buddy to show up and help me move a couch, that's not the guy I'm going to ask <laughs> right. because it's just. And it, you know, if if I ask him and then he calls me 15 minutes before we got the couch and I got the truck and I'm sitting in front of his house and I put all this money and the day's plan, and I'm furious. It's like, well, he never ever agreed to be that person. <laughs> that's you right. Know. That, that, that's the
0: greatest part. That's what's so important is just understanding who people are and, and accepting them for who they are. Right. Like, yeah, that guy, he's just not the on-time guy Yeah, or he's just not the helpful guy or, or whatever it is, but that's who they are. You don't need to change them. You don't need to fix them. You can suggest like, Hey, your life would suck a little bit less if you showed up to work on time, but that's all you can do. You got no power. I, I joke with my kids all the time. Like I can make you do this. Like it can happen every (laughs) damn day. I don't want you. I want you to understand the benefits of getting up and exercising and brushing your teeth, and (laughs) that's what I want. Yeah. Um, But I'm not even good at doing that. Like Mm -hmm. how? How do you make somebody that you made understand that this is the the way you should be doing life? Mm -hmm. I'll suggest it. I'll tell them they have to, and sometimes that still doesn't work. Yeah. All right. I still love them. Yeah, he's all right. <laughs> My kids are great. They yeah. really are great, but they're still kids. They're, yeah. They're, he's probably going to light the school on fire or, you know, spray paint the principal's He'll car. he do something. Or It'll something. happen. Uh, yeah.
1: But uh, it's okay because it's like, you know, get, you got to mess up. Yeah. Nobody's ever, you know. And then we're all so, that's the thing. It's like, like, I really like Bernie and like um, Bernie. Bernie Sanders. Oh, yeah. Um, and all these people, like, they like they run, like, people that don't like him, they'll go like, hey, well, in 1972 (laughs) he was uh, he was anti-gay marriage and it's like well he probably didn't really know enough about it and (laughs) now he's pro-gay marriage and you know like so why would you you know it's like do you want him to stick to his guns and hate gay people is that what you want and also like you know in uh, 1996 I like you know I like dressed like I was in a gangster rap group (laughs) like I'm not proud of it (laughs) I didn't know better I had a mullet yeah yeah (laughs) You know, it's like, we've all done these things. And it's just like, I think that this, like, this idea of perfection is so toxic. Right. Um, And I think there's people that do it wrong. You know, I think there's a lot of, like, strong men right now, and especially, like, world politics, where it's like, you know, this idea of, like, no failure and I've never messed up. Like, um, it's just, it's not benefiting us at all. I think that grace thing is is really important. Yeah.
0: I think you would enjoy 12 Rules of License. 12 Rules of Life, An Antidote to Chaos.
1: Um, it's very much every That's Jordan Peterson? Jordan Peterson's book. I'll read it on my phone so nobody can see the cover because <laughs> I'd, I'd get in a lot of trouble in New York City.
0: <laughs> it, it blows my mind how upset some people get. You'll tell them a principle. That you know is good in life, like to be grateful. Yeah, and, and they'll get mad at you and like, well, I don't have to be grateful. No, you don't have to. That's not what I said. I'm like saying life would be a little bit better if you were grateful. And people, I remember hearing a guy in the news in the states that was mad like, no one could force me to have health care. I'm like, you don't want someone to take care of you when you're sick. <laughs> I I don't understand
1: that. That's the. I mean, there's that's a very um, that's like a very American. I don't know if it's Canadian. Oh, and there's definitely there's,
0: people that are like that. But
1: there's there. this, there's this like very obstinate brand of uh, American, especially like kind of working class. And I get it. There's like a pride and like self reliance and things like that. That was like definitely something that was preached um, in you know kind of the building of the current America. But there's people where they're like, we don't ask for help, and you're like, <laughs> you might need help, right. you know, Like if yeah. you don't have money for the heart surgery. You should probably ask for help because you're gonna die. Like you're not gonna look like nobody's gonna be like he. He kept his integrity and died in his you know lazy boy. I talk about
0: dying of embarrassment. It's the the one thing that in my youth that I think I died a thousand deaths of embarrassment. And I say it all the time to my kids. No matter what happens, I'm like, oh, that's really embarrassing because I used to be embarrassed by everything so much so that I wouldn't tell people that I had a problem like. I'm really broken. I don't know what to do about it. Yeah. I, never, I never told people when I was you there. You
1: still won't tell us about that tattoo.
0: Right, yeah. That Which one? one? <laughs> I got a tattoo that I covered up. It was an ice cube, and it said Iceman. Oh, nice. Underneath, yeah. It's since been covered up because it's not worth talking <laughs> about. I but like it. Yeah. Uh, I'll maybe tell you okay. off air when Eric's not around just to drive him crazy. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> but, yeah, like. He's probably the goon on a local hockey team. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: we uh, we 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 die of embarrassment. They're, they talk about uh, in first aid people that are literally choking to death, and they get up and they walk away from the table because they don't want anyone to see them choking. Yeah, and they walk off to a bathroom or hallway and they fall over dead. Like this is what people are doing every yeah. day in their life. You
1: should watch. Um, there's a show. It's like I think it's the best comedy that came out on. It's very bizarre. It's very out there. It's not for everybody. But it's called. I think you should leave. It's on Netflix. It's okay. a sketch show. This yep. guy. Um, I think his name's Nate Robinson. No, that's a, that's a basketball player. Nate something. Yeah. I can't, I don't know why I can't think of his name right now. He's really funny. He was on Saturday Night Live, but it's, it's called, I think you should leave. And there is a, a whole sketch where a guy's trying to impress a guy and he's choking and everybody's like, you're choking. And he's like, I'm fine. I'm good. And he's like trying to eat. He's like, right. what I eat if I was choking? And he's like <laughs> spitting it out still. Um, and yeah, uh, it's just like, yeah, that's the thing. I think that's, That's been something that's been so nice about getting to this age of my life where it's like I constantly mess up. I mean, I basically could like till earlier this year, I could probably say that like everything before this, other than like some comedy albums, like I didn't I don't need to keep record of. You know what I mean? Like there (laughs) hasn't been a lot of good stuff, but that's fine. I'm fine with it now because I don't really like, you know, I don't sweat it. Just things that happen, I regret them a little bit.
0: And it was a character to build you to who you are now. Yeah. I, I, you know, you have to be grateful for what you went through, and, and now you are the person. You're just not going to, you know, do that racist thing or that stupid thing or that, you know, yep. stupid outfit thing anymore.
1: I'm not going to. Well, I probably will, but <laughs> then I'll be like, oh, that was a mistake. And, you know, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll do that.
0: Depends what the producer's willing to pay you, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, Which- with the money, I'll make so many mistakes. <laughs> I'm sure that I'll make more money again and I'll do something stupid. So, yeah. yeah.
0: Well, you know what? I, I don't want to take up too much of your time because I know you got a show to do tonight. you thanks, got some man. writing to do tonight. I really appreciate yeah, you this coming out and doing the show. Anytime you're in Calgary, the door is always open. Oh, thanks, man. If you want to just come by, hang out, or do a podcast or whatever. I'm just going to uh, come to
1: dinner with you guys. Sweet. See if he ever, f- you know, uh, spray paints the principal's car or uh, keep checking figures in. out what the Iceman man. Means <laughs> maybe when he's
0: 25, I'll tell him what the Iceman uh, tattoo was.
1: Yeah, you got to set like a um, there was a thing like when we graduated from high school, there was this one teacher yep. who would never tell us what their middle name meant, right? And when we graduated, she would whisper it into our ear. <laughs> That's awesome. And so, you got to set like a milestone <laughs> like that. Okay. Like, he he does one thing, I mean, it's definitely like post 18, I'm guessing, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah,
0: when you're a dad and and uh, yeah, you got a job and all that stuff. Then you don't have to be that old to be a dad, man. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about doing stupid stuff. Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> um, cool. Yeah, thank you very much, uh, everyone. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing. Um, Andy is. Uh, well, we'll do. Uh, we'll do a little clip after that, and we'll promote your show tonight at the Laugh Shop. Oh, cool. Um, Eric, you want to go to outro? Hey, everyone. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing. This podcast is over.